Hello and welcome to another episode of Consumer, the European podcast of the Consumer Choice Center. As always, I'm your host, Bill Words, with Billy Joel's pressure fading out in the background. As always, if you want to support this podcast, you can do so by going on consumerchoicecenter.org slash donate, where you can donate in fiat or cryptocurrency, if you so choose to do so. This is episode 99 on January 12th. 2023. Uh, my guest this week is Ivan Bertovic, a political commentator from Croatia, and we talked about Croatia's introduction of the euro as its new currency. Also in this episode, new alcohol restrictions in Ireland face opposition by other EU member states, and French opposition warns of new climate regulation protests. So let's get started. First off, Ireland is introducing new regulation on alcohol. This is not uh, specifically a tax or anything. This is supposed to be about the labeling of alcohol products. There's political writing. Resistance is growing to forthcoming legislation in Ireland to introduce new labeling requirements on alcohol products. The rules would slap warning labels on bottles of booze that highlight the link between alcohol and cancer and contain information on alcohol content. But some EU countries are not happy. So first off, this has been a rule in the making for a while in Ireland. Of course, Ireland says it needs to do that because of the health implications of alcohol. Um, and I think Family Guy first reminded us of the effects of alcohol on Ireland. Ireland was a much different place before the discovery of alcohol. Most experts believe it was something like this. Gentlemen, today we, Ireland's top scientists, have found a way to convert our entire population to pure energy. Oh, it's a glorious day. Absolutely. Hey, Michael McLeod's just invented a new kind of beverage in his basement. Hmm, whiskey. So a little bit of humor there, but ultimately the government is arguing that the effects of alcohol are so bad that more information is needed and that the labeling of alcohol products uh, is necessary. However, uh, those rules are being contested by a number of EU countries. So there are some countries here, including France, Spain and Italy, that argue that those new rules, those new labeling rules uh, prevent uh, the free movement of goods within uh, the common market of the European Union. Uh, France underlines that it supports an ambitious approach towards the fight against harmful use of alcohol. It adds, nevertheless, the French authorities believe that the draft regulation proposed by the Irish authorities is not compatible with European Union law. Italy also claims uh, that uh, this would infringe on, on the movement of goods as they would have to be labeled differently in Ireland. So, for instance, if you imagine an Irish uh, a supermarket would contain Italian bottles of wine, as would any other supermarket. However, uh, the importers would have to change the labels, remove carefully remove the labels, or uh, put stickers on top, uh, which would um, which would cause a problem for those producers as well, uh, being able to sell less and essentially discriminating against products, uh, some of which are not made in Ireland uh, at all. Uh, so, for instance, I don't think the Irish wine market is uh, is particularly. Um, is particularly developed, uh, but uh, but we shall see how that will develop within the EU because uh, two different departments, DG Grow and DG Santé, which is Health and Grow is Internal Market Division, uh, will have to greenlight this decision uh, before it can actually go through. So let's see how it goes. Um, in any case, Politico is giving us some numbers. Um, Spain's annual survey on alcohol and other drugs found that heavy drinking fell from 19.4% in 2020 to 16.7% in 2022. 
and uh, and and that I think is motivating some of the countries arguing against these uh, against these labeling rules by saying, look, we don't have these, so you don't need them either, and yet we have uh, uh, great uh, uh, numbers on reducing uh, alcohol abuse. Next up, what do the climate rules mean for social protests? The French left opposition is arguing that uh, new rules on the emissions trading scheme, which we have talked about on this podcast before, might cause new yellow vest protests. The new carbon pricing system, writes Euractive, dubbed ETS2, will apply to petrol, diesel and heating fuels such as natural gas, whose climate warming emissions have continued to rise over the years despite attempts to decarbonize. But while Parliament wanted to delay the introduction of the scheme until 2029, EU countries in the Council of Ministers pushed for an earlier starting date and both sides ultimately compromised on 2027. And so some MEPs in the French group are claiming that this will cause an uproar because it will increase the prices on already quite expensive fossil fuels. Uh, one MEP says Europeans are being mocked. Leftist MEP Leila Shaibi uh, says that the EU's decision on the ETS2 is a betrayal of the Parliament's mandate, which stipulated there would be no ETS2 for households before 29, and then only if the conditions are met. Uh, Eurective also says that early adoption of a new carbon tax on fuels in France was exactly what fueled the Yellow Vest movements in 2017 and 18, uh, as the MEP recalls. So uh, this is all very interesting, and I think uh, alludes to something I've uh, I've spoken to in the past, is that uh, today's climate marches will be tomorrow's Yellow Vest protesters, as they find out that their purchasing power is actually quite low uh, when it doesn't rely on uh, the ones of their parents. And I think ultimately adding on top of the already existing uh, purchasing power crisis for many Europeans is definitely not helpful. On top of that, I don't think the ETS scheme, as it's been applied to aviation, has necessarily actually been beneficial to the development of, of new aircraft. It's ultimately the fact that airlines want to uh, save on the use of kerosene and therefore buy aircraft that use up to 30% on the, for instance, on the Airbus NEO system, up to 30% less uh, kerosene than the previous models. I think that is how we get uh, to that point. Um, countries want to use the money raised by the ETS uh, scheme in order to reinvest it into a household renovation. Ultimately, they could do something similar by making it tax-free, uh, which has been one of the suggestions uh, that, that we have made here at the Consumer Choice Center, uh, which I think would be quite beneficial to households trying to upgrade their homes and making them um, more energy efficient overall. But I think very interesting input there from uh, from the, the, the far-left opposition, in uh, the far-left French opposition, let's say, in the European Parliament. And lastly, we have uh, Ivan Bertovic, political commentator from Croatia, to tell us about uh, the uh, adoption of the euro in uh, Croatia and what exactly he thinks are the effects of this uh, new uh, currency. All right, so we have Ivan Bertovic here, political commentator from Croatia. And of course, Croatia has been in the news for a major change in currency uh, since the 1st of January, uh, which is, uh, which is uh, just uh, two weeks ago. Uh, Croatia has officially adopted the euro as its currency. Uh, do you like the shiny new coins, Ivan? Well, they are nice. I will say that. Uh, I've heard people complaining that we also didn't get the new paper bills and they're uh, bothered by the fact that we got the old crumpled ones, but I think it's fine. It's it's a bit depressing when you because the numbers are sevenfold 
smaller now, then you're quite depressed when you see your salary, but I guess it, it, one will get used to it in time. Well, exactly. That is what I wanted to talk to you about, because I remember vaguely still uh, at a, as a as a seven year old being sent to the bakery with Luxembourgish francs. That's been it's been a while. So we've had the euro since 2002. And I, but I remember back then uh, our press, uh, which uh, which writes in German saying, calling it the toyo, the expensive uh, euro. Has that also been the reaction to some extent uh, in Croatia as people see that prices are increasing, being rounded up in the country? Well, in that respect, there are several, th- several things that need to be said. First of all, we have to acknowledge that we've been through, let's say, a year and a half at least of very high inflation, one of the highest inflation we've seen in decades. Uh, and Croatia is, uh, as usual, on the forefront of uh, things in Europe uh, in regards to bad things. So the November yearly inflation was 13%, which is quite high. I think Eurozone is somewhere around 9%, so we're quite ahead. Um, and I, we've all noticed prices rising throughout this time. Uh, and I did... I. It's hard to say what's true exactly true because um it's been just let's say it's been like 10 days 11 days so far you we cannot say with certainty whether the inflation has been more pronounced since the introduction of euro uh what people do see some anecdotal stuff that's going around are is certain rounding uh, of numbers that usually goes towards higher some of examples in the media are being presented that there are some cafes or certain services that are trying to accommodate uh, consumers and trying to round uh, the prices down, which is nice, but that's not what's happening most of the time. Um, I will say that there's certain services that uh, that people have noticed that are going quite up in respect, for example, uh, hairdressers. Uh, They have been trying to withstand this inflatory shock that's been happening throughout Europe for quite a while. And now that the currency has changed, a lot of people who did not have opportunity to raise their prices sooner in fear of, so to say, uh, customer, uh, uh, bad customer feedback and customers retaliating and not uh, patronizing their business anymore, have taken this uh, situation as an opportunity to raise prices some 50, 60, 70, or even 100% up, which is quite significant. Then again, they do say themselves that uh, their services are not uh, necessary services. They're more luxury luxury services in respect of hairdressing and uh, uh, nail salons and stuff like that. I, I will say there have been some studies uh, in respect to also in respect to people's perception of inflation. Uh, There's a study from 2017 that our own central bank, uh, Croatian National Bank, uh, has conducted in which it tried to establish what was the actual effect of uh, introduction of euro in certain countries, especially in respect to how people perceived it. And uh, what the study concluded, which relies on many other studies like that one, is that 
the people are actually quite good at uh, perceiving inflation. They're actually quite good at uh, estimating what the inflation is, except for when they change currency, because there is a shock. And Slovakia was, uh, for example, different. Uh, I saw that perceived inflation in Slovakia was quite lower than it, than the actual inflation. Uh, however, in other countries, uh, people perceived inflation somewhat higher. Is it because of the rounding errors? Is it because people have to adjust to a new currency? It's hard to say. But yeah, people are struggling in general, and this new currency definitely is creating a commotion. Take us back to the, um, well, decision or absence of opposition to taking the euro in the first place. As the European treaties stand, taking the euro is not actually a choice. Countries have to do it once they reach the convergence criteria, um, uh, which, are, which are known as the Maastricht criteria. Um, of course, that obligation has been, uh, um, has, has been suspended for some countries. For instance, Denmark, Sweden, back then the UK did not want uh, the euro. The Czech Republic uh, uh, is in the same situation, did not want the euro and therefore uh, uh, did not actually end up taking it. Uh, Croatia uh, uh, is different. I think Bulgaria eventually will, will probably uh, do the same. Is it because... There was wide-scale support uh, for the euro because the government thought it was economically better to do it. What were the discussions in Croatia leading up to the decision to take the euro in the end? Well, Croatia's uh, relation with Europe and European Union, in my opinion, was always, uh, at least Croatian public, was that of... Uh, uh, how should I put it uh, correctly? Uh, one of tolerance in in sense that people in Croatia understand that uh, European Union is here. It's here to stay. In a way, it's certain necessity, and you cannot just dodge it. But there is hasn't been a lot of enthusiasm about it. People are not very thrilled about it, uh, not at least not in the sense that they're very the big Europhiles, that they feel as if Europe is their home uh, or their union. Um, and in that respect, it's very similar with Euro. Uh, it's important to note that Croatian Kuna, now a currency lost to time, uh, was for a very long time actually pegged to Euro. So our prices in a way, we're connected to Euro because the Croatian Central Bank always tried to maintain uh, one Euro to be uh, to, to have the exchange rate of one Euro for somewhere around 7.53 Croatian Kunas. And for most of the time, this exchange rate was, uh, uh, was established. It was, people were, uh, the Croatian National Bank was capable of maintaining this uh, exchange rate. Um, but as was with the uh, referendum on uh, Croatia joining the European Union, which was... Uh, uh, which um, um, most of the people who voted for uh, Croatia joining the European Union, um, it was like 60 to 30, somewhere around that, that, that were... Sixty to uh, sixty to forty. I'm sorry. Uh, that were some general numbers, but it was only like thirty to forty percent of general population that actually uh, joined to joined to vote on this uh, referendum. In the same way, people miss Kuna. There's a lot of um, 
talk on social uh, uh, networks, uh, how they actually miss Kuna, but they also see that their vote is not something that's actual, that actually matters, or their, that their preference of it is not something that matters. Uh, the euro was imposed by government decision, the people were not asked whether they want it or not. Whether it's a good or bad thing, we'll see. Uh, nobody has a crystal ball to tell the future, but that it was a unilateral decision by our government. Well, it definitely comes with upsides and downsides, and as uh, some countries, uh, specifically Greece, has experienced in the past in times of crisis, and which is why this uh, moment of joining is particularly interesting, because if the current... Uh, economic troubles follow a sovereign debt crisis, uh, then the conversation and more scrutiny will be uh, put on Croatia, on the way it manages its finances, um, which to some extent some commentators might say is good because it keeps the country in check and uh, allows other Eurozone countries to actually check on how uh, uh, deficit spending and debt uh, evolution is going, um, while uh, others might claim that a country loses the independence of its own uh, economic uh, policies. Uh, what is your assessment? Do you think uh, further checks, on and, uh, checks and balances uh, by uh, European partners on the performance of the Croatian economy could be a good thing in the future? So I'll, I'll put it like this. I, as every other person, have my own biases. I'm a certain Eurosceptic in the sense that I believe there are certain things that European Union does bad and I would like it, I would like it to improve or not do these things. However, there are some things that I do like about European Union. That's the freedom of the four freedoms, the freedom of movement of people, capital, uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, but the, the other thing that I really do like is the uh, Olaf office, the... A European uh, office that uh, deals in matters of uh, corruption, especially in public sector. Uh, and I will have to say that we here in Croatia have been very grateful to European Union on that, on that fact, that they kind of started to clean stuff up here in Croatia in respect to our own government. We are... Uh, we do have a lot of uh, trouble uh, issues with corruption. It's taken deep root. It's very hard to get rid of. And in that respect, when we compare that to Euro, one could argue that uh, we in Croatia do hope that European institutions will maintain a certain level of order that's missing, that's, uh, that's usually missing in the Balkans, so to say. Having said that, I did notice that, especially during the, this COVID crisis that we had, something that I call a tragedy of the commons of currency, in my opinion, occurred, in the sense that now that we all have this joint currency that we all use, the governments were very, uh, very prone on offering fiscal uh, stimuluses to their citizens. They were giving uh, money uh, left and right, trying to... Uh, well, they would say they were trying to help their citizens. One could argue they were they were buying their votes. And if you're a member of this Eurozone, of this joint currency, and you have a country like Germany that's literally 20 times bigger than Croatia, uh, decide to give out, just give out money because they think it's a proper thing, in the middle of inflation, mind you, uh... There's not much that Croatia can do about it. 
as a matter of fact, our own government is incentivized to do the same and even further exacerbate the problem. So, uh, it, yeah, Croatia has issues. I'm not sure whether it would be whether it would be better for Croatia if it had its own currency. As I said, we we have a lot of a lot of problems with corruption. Having said that, I think. What we saw in the past two years is trap for every country that joins Euro, because it, the politicians are simply incentivized to follow bad policies that buy votes. So I have one final question for you, Ivan, as we get get to the end of the segment, which is um, something that, that that I think interests our listeners is the comparison of uh, of Croatia within the region. You sort of alluded to that to some extent, uh, comparing to other uh, uh, Balkan uh, countries. Uh, with Croatia not only adopting the euro, but also uh, um, uh, getting access to the accession to the uh, Schengen area, um, and being considered, you know, being a member of the European Union, uh, having members of the European Parliament sitting on the European Council, um, is uh, the is Croatia the dream child of what the Balkans uh, should uh, strive for, or is it an outlier that uh, the other countries cannot even dream of uh, replicating? Uh, uh, well, uh, my northern uh, neighbors in Slovenia are going to be quite irritated by, by, by what I'm about to say, but I believe Slovenia would more uh, be more properly a, a role model for what Balkan countries should strive to be. Slovenians will tell you that they're not from the Balkans. <laughs> well, let's agree that we 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 all used to be in the same. Uh, uh, some time ago, we all used to share us uh, share us st- the same state. Um, in respect to countries that are uh, trying to join the EU uh, and are in negotiation talks, I believe that Croatia still has a way to go to be considered a quote-unquote exemplary uh, European country, European state. Uh, We still have a lot of fiscal problems. We still have a lot of, uh, as I said, uh, problems with corruption. Um, uh, Our local and uh, regional and state administration lacks uh, on many fronts, um, both in the way they conduct business and in the way how they conduct themselves towards citizens. Um, And these are typical uh, problems for all the countries in the region. So I don't think that countries that are uh, hoping to join EU have that big of a threshold to cross. I think they will have some issues. I think that, especially in respect to uh, foreign policy, now with the war in Ukraine and everything, and certain how certain countries uh, approach the Russian sanctions and stuff like that, it's definitely going to affect their uh, application and the way they're they're going to be, and whether they're going to be admitted. But in respect to pure governance, I don't believe it's that big of a hurdle for them. I think that with some will, they will find a way. All right. Concluding words there. Thank you so much, Ivan Bertovic, for uh, joining the Consumer Podcast. Thank you for inviting me. 
And that concludes this week's episode of Consumer. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I am very thankful to uh, all of the listeners for following uh, into 99 episodes. And next week, we will celebrate the 100th episode of Consumer together with uh, uh, Fabio Fernandez, who will be co-hosting the episode uh, for next week. Um, I will also be uh, off for one of the episodes following the number 100 because um, I'm going to Switzerland for the uh, World Economic Forum. So uh, let's see if we will be recording any content there uh, together with Jalosowski from the Consumer Choice Radio team. And uh, in any case, uh, please uh, do stay subscribed. Recommend uh, this podcast to a friend. Um, maybe some of uh, your friends will have a 30-minute drive in the morning and want to listen to uh, what we have to say here at the Consumer Podcast. In any case, thank you so much for listening. And uh, yeah, you'll hear from me on Thursday. You have-